Hello, stick around after the final credits at the end for a post-credits treat. The Beef and Dairy Network is sponsored by Mui's XL, the new bovine pacification lozenge from Mitchell's. If it's not Mitchell's, get back in the truck. Mui's XL calms even the most aggravated meat beast without the need for complicated tranquilizer systems. And the new XL formulation means just one lozenge will leave even your largest milking Mary strung out for days. For 10% off your next order, simply drop any lawsuits against us. And welcome to the Beef and Dairy Network podcast, the number one podcast for those involved or just interested in the production of beef animals and dairy herds. The Beef and Dairy Network podcast is the podcast companion to the Beef and Dairy Network website and a printed magazine brought to you by new Mui's XL bovine pacification lozenges. Mitchell's have actually sent us a promotional box of Mui's XL and I have to say here at Beef and Dairy HQ they are a total hit. The packaging warns that they are only suitable for cows, horses, camels and other mammals that you couldn't single-handedly lift, but we've found them to be perfect for relaxing after a long week at work, silencing a whimpering baby or tranquilizing an aunt who's upset because she's fallen victim to identity theft. Last week when I took a couple, at one point my heart rate slowed to six beats a minute, and if that's not relaxing, I don't know what is. This month we hear some of your letters on the subject of cow's eyes. But first, earlier in the week I spoke to well-known poet Michael Banyan. Probably best known for his appearances on BBC Radio 4's Is There a Poet in the House and Sky Arts's Poet in a Jumper on a Beach, this month sees the publication of Crab of the Land, his first volume of work since he became the Bovine Poet Laureate. Hello, my name is Michael Banyan and I'm a poet. Hello Michael, thanks for coming on the, on the podcast. Now, of all our guests, I think you probably need to introduce yourself the least. Uh, given the level of success and fame that you've gained in the last couple of years. It's been stratospheric, hasn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, I don't want to be big-headed about it, but um, I, I am I am absolutely massive, yeah, at the moment. Did you ever think when you started out writing poetry that, that you'd end up with this kind of celebrity status? No. Like a lot of people, I initially got into poetry for the money, but uh, the more I worked and the more of my words I put out there... Um, the more I started to realise that there is also a lot of fame attached. And it's not something I was expecting. It's not something I was prepared for. I confess it, it did go to my head. Now, yes, now this touches a bit on on your lifestyle, which has been under some scrutiny recently. There's been a lot of pictures of you in the papers, um, a lot of you know toxic chat about mm. what your lifestyle is like. How do you yeah. respond to those, those things that are written about you? Well, um... I admit it, you know, hands up, I, um, I I went off the rails, you know, I'm not proud of it. It's not edifying when you you open the papers and you see photos of yourself stumbling out of Spaghetti House at 1am with Haruki Murakami on one arm and bits of bruschetta on the other. You wake up hungover, you think, who am I going to find in my kitchen today? You walk in and it's Jonathan Franzen again, just sitting there with a empty bag of kettle chips on his head. He looks at you, bloods your eyes. He says, should we go and walk around Tate Modern talking shit? And um, you say yes. And is this a chapter of your life that you think is is behind you or is it something that, that you actually enjoy? No, it's very much in the past now. I've taken my foot off the gas completely in that respect. I mean, if Ira Glass calls me up now, I just don't answer. You know, I can't afford to lose five days. 
So this new chapter in your personal life and the, the turning over of a new leaf seems also to, to coincide with a new chapter in your professional career as a poet when it was announced last year that you became Bovine Poet Laureate. So how, how did that come about? Well, it's an interesting story. I was doing a spoken word event in a bar in East London, and um, there were some farmers in the audience, as there often are. Turned out they'd come to see a friend of theirs who was emceeing it. Uh, it's a farmer you might know called Michael Henchcliffe. Anyway, um, afterwards, having a few drinks at the bar, and uh, Henchcliffe and his cronies uh, approached me. They said they were members of the Bovine Farmers Union. I said, prove it. I mean, I could see they were wearing the hats. You know, it's, um, it's a sort of cross between a hoof and a fez. So I still I still wasn't 100% sure of their credentials. Um, and, and I said, prove it. At that point, Hinchcliffe undid his shirt, and um, sure enough, he'd, he'd had the others sewn on. So I realized they meant business. They offered me the role of bovine laureate. Now, initially, I say I refused. Um, I was really quite intimidated by it. I mean, it's, it's big shoes to fill. Previous bovine laureates, people like David Fonstable, Henderson Crudge, these, these, are, these are big names. My first response was to pretend I needed to go to the toilet, and, and I just left. And I thought that was the end of it. But these guys don't take no for an answer. And over the next few weeks, they started posting beef dishes through my letterbox. Hot beef dishes? Well, hot at the point of delivery. Yeah. Initially, it was stroganoffs, then teriyakis, steak tartars. And were they just being poured through or did they come in on a dish? I think poured isn't quite the word. I'd say shoved. Funneled? I, I, I never actually saw them do it. So I don't know if they used a funnel. But there was no crockery involved, if, if that's what you mean. And what do you do? You think they were they were trying to punish you for turning them down, or were they trying to somehow ingratiate themselves? Uh, good question. Was it a threat or was it uh, an enticement? Yes, uh, it, it was somewhere between the two. I think, on the one hand, they realised that hygiene-wise, they were compromising my haul, but at the same time, the smell of those beef dishes was quite attractive initially that was until we got into week two and then it was massaman it was massaman curry day after day massaman curry massaman curry massaman curry and eventually my letterbox got so clogged up with with the rich thick massaman curry sauce and and the beef chunks that i just had to say yes because my, my whole area was starting to smell awful and the worry was that if you if you didn't give in and say yes they'd start pouring other things through more unctuous, bigger cuts of meat, that kind of thing? I think that threat was implicit. It was it was a beef arms race and I was losing. And so you contacted them, you said, it's okay, I'm going to be the, the bovine poet laureate. And, and um, how's it gone? I mean, what does it involve? Well, um, my first commission was to write a new cow noise. Right. Yeah, moo had been the accepted cow noise since Chaucer, I think. Um, but when you think about it, moo isn't very good, is it? Not fit for purpose, I'd say, especially with the internet. Kids now can can Google cow noise. Videos will come up. They watch compilations of different cows uh, making cow noises, and, and moo just doesn't really doesn't really do it. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's been a it's been a challenge for literary figures going back centuries thousands of years trying to find a way of capturing that sound using yeah. you know the the letters we have it's, it's it's not always possible to capture a sound in letters is it that's 
even if you try and use other other alphabets, the Cyrillic alphabet, they've tried and failed. And many have tried and failed, and that was exactly the nature of the beef gauntlet that they've thrown down. And um, I'm pleased to say I, I picked it up and uh, put it on and started waving at people with it. Um, it took me about two years, and uh, I came up with a near as damn it perfect um, phonetic spelling of a cow noise. M M N N N. It's four E's, then A U R R G, then three H's. I, I can read it for you now if you want. Yes, please. If you read it, this is this, this is what you get. Ah, that's very good. Ah, that was very impressive. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a lot better than Moo. And you've you've taken the decision to bring out a book, is that right? That's right, yes. I've um, released a book, and it's called Crab of the Land. Maybe we could start our discussion about your book with you reading us one of, one of the poems from the book. I'd love to. So this poem is called Cowgrate, which is another name for a cattle grid. It's the metal bars uh, at the entrance to a field, which means the... Cows can't escape. Cowgrate. Come off it, mate. You aren't great. Your metal bars have turned these cows to prisoners. This field into an Alcatraz. That trough into a visiting area. That dawdling frog, a prison guard's dog. The scampering shrew, a bent prison screw. That heron flying alone, a hovering security camera drone. That scarecrow on its stick, the evil prison governor's dick. That barbed wire fence, just still a barbed wire fence. Sorry, is, is, is that is that finished? Of course. Sorry, it's quite hard to know when, when poems end sometimes, isn't it? More from that interview later. But first, our postbag was bulging this week after over on the website we asked you for your responses to the question how does looking into a cow's eye make you feel? Alan from St Brides writes When I look into a cow's eye, I feel complete tranquillity. I think about nothing, my muscles relax, I soil myself deeply and feel warm and happy. Thanks, Alan. Jill from Ben Fleet says, Looking into a cow's eye unlocks something deep inside me. A sort of fifth emotion, outside of the four established emotions of happy, sad, angry and hot. Interesting stuff, Jill. Gemma from Plymouth writes, In a cow's eye I can see a reflection of myself. And that's all I need. I don't need anyone else for any emotional or indeed financial support. Do you hear that, Kevin? I don't need anyone else. Do you hear that, Kevin? Do you? Do you? Can you listen for once in your life? God, Kevin. Really, Kevin. Kevin. Thanks, Gemma. And finally, Judy from Ricelip writes, When I look into a cow's eye, I can see it all. The Big Bang, the beginning of everything. The first fish who thought to try and make it up on land. 
that brave little trout. That first fish who began to chomp the grass. That first fish who nobly allowed herself to be milked. I see empires rise and fall. I see people enslaved and freed, and then enslaved and freed again, and then enslaved and then subsequently freed. Science blooms. I see the discovery of microwaves, the invention of the microwave, and a lasagna spinning in a microwave. And the spinning lasagna sits on a spinning planet, and the spinning planet circles a great sun, as hot as the hot meat centre of any lasagna. And that sun is just one star in a galaxy of billions, all whirling around in a black universe. And on the spinning planet, I see more cows, each of them with two deep black eyes, each containing their own universe. It is then that I realise that I'm not looking at our universe at all, but a different one, entirely contained within this cow's eye. And I look up at the night sky and the stars and the space in between the stars and down at my lasagna and I think, is all this inside a cow's eye? Is anyone looking in? What lies beyond? More cows, more eyes. What happens when we die? I don't want to leave this cow's eye. Don't make me leave this cow's eye. Hello? 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 As you can imagine, having these thoughts is exhausting, which is why I take Mitchell's cow ease extra-large bovine pacification lozenges. In fact, I'm about to take one now. Oh, boy. Thanks, Judy. Back to our interview with poet Michael Banyan after this. Hi, I'm comedian Emily Heller. And I'm cartoonist Lisa Hannawalt. And we're the hosts of Baby Geniuses. Do you want to learn weird new facts? Do you like hearing successful creative women talk about their poop? Do you want the scoop on Martha Stewart's pony? If you answered yes to any of these questions, our show is for you. We interview people like Paul F. Tompkins, Kristen Shaw, Michael Che, and more. So check us out on Maximum Fun. And let us mess up your brain. Yes, please. <laughs> With this job, the 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 thing that's nourishing your imagination mm. are the cows, aren't they? The cows yep. that you've been seeing and going around and being introduced to. And what is it about those cows that inspire you to write poetry? What I always say is, um, you couldn't invent a cow, could you? If you said, "I've invented a machine that mows lawns, makes shoes, uh, is a milkshake factory." provides burgers, beef wellington, boeuf bourguignon, and a carpet to eat it on, uh, not to mention the chair you're sitting on, if it's a cow bone chair, and not just that, but the mere sight of one of these things will improve a walk in the country by about 4%. I'm looking for £50,000 and your expertise for a 15% stake in the company. They'd be chucking money at you. It would be a feeding frenzy. The truth is, I love cows and I love words, but weirdly, um, I hate the word cow. Um, I don't mind the C, it's the owl I don't like, because owl is a pain word, isn't it, owl? I think it's too negative. Um, so what, what, in my dream world, and this is my, my biggest ambition, is to change the word cow 
Um, and what I do is I keep the C, but instead of ow, I make it a pleasure sound, a sound of pleasure, not a sound of pain. So I'd keep the C, and it would be something more like um, And have you have you tried to get this to catch on? But for example, if you, if you go to visit a farm as part of your role as the bovine poet laureate, and you're introduced to cows, and the farmer says, "Here they are," and you, would you say? Oh, what a lovely field of car. That's exactly what I'd say, yeah. Now, like like all normal people, I haven't read a poem uh, since I was a child. How would you inspire me to pick up your book? Well, buying poetry books is really more about people seeing them in your house than actually reading them. No one actually reads poetry, which gives you incredible freedom as a writer. So you you see that as a, as a positive thing rather than I could imagine some poets being quite upset even that people aren't actually reading their work. No, not at all. It's quite nice to know in the background while you're working, just this sense that it doesn't doesn't actually matter if you, if you do get the right word or not. I think it was as a, as a child I, I first realised that that no one really reads poetry. I think it was um, there was a book of Tennyson's poems in my parents' sitting room, and I picked it up once and um, flipped through it. And there's a few poems at the beginning, but in the middle, Tennyson had just written a lot of random stuff, recipes, to-do lists, some scribbled measurements for a bedside table he needed. Well, that's interesting because actually I, well, I got the advanced copy of, of your book, uh, Crab of the Land, and I was flicking through it. And then when you get to page 35, between page 35 and 76, it's just blank paper. That's right. Um why not? Do you, do you, do you know what I mean? Um, it, it saves on ink. Ink's quite expensive. Um, squids are dying out. So environmentally, I think it's sound. You've been writing poems steadily for a few years. Why did you feel like it was time to bring out your first volume of, of the work that you would be making as the Bovine Poet Laureate? There's a lovely feeling you get when you publish a book. And I think I was I was missing that, that feeling. It's... um. It's a lovely feeling of well-being. It's kind of the only way I could describe it is um, imagine imagine the feeling of a financial advance being paid into into the account of your soul, you know, kind of an, an enriching of your of your soul's account, and and paying off your soul's overdraft, exactly, and funding your soul's upcoming holiday. That money also frees you up creatively. You know, it does. In my case, to create uh, an underground snooker room. Now, you're a slightly controversial figure. I'm mm. sure you know that. People throughout your tenure as the Bovine Poet Laureate have been questioning your your passion for cows, questioning its authenticity, whether it's something you're putting on or whether it's something you actually feel. What What would you say to the people who who have been queuing up to tell you that you just toss off any old tat to the highest bidder? Well, I'd say, have you ever tried to build your own underground snooker room? I don't think so, because if you had, you'd realise it's a nightmare. Even once you've paid off the council official for the planning permission, a full-size snooker table is massive, and you need room for the shots. You don't want to use a mini queue, do you? They're ridiculous, tiny little queues. Plus, if you want the full range of queues and a bar and a booth for Franzen, um, it's going to set you back. Well, thank you, Michael, for your interview. It's been very interesting hearing from you. I feel like you've been very open with us. 
and I really would like it if we could just end this section with a couple more poems from your book. Yeah, okay. Um, This is a poem called Old Cow. Wise old cow, your udders have lost their rubberiness. Your hide no longer shines. Your hooves are grooved with countless miles of wandering. Your tits gone dry from years of plundering. Your eyes have lost their gloss. But what have they seen, those ancient eyes? A man walk upon the moon. Kennedy come and gone too soon. The last chopper out of Saigon. Margaret Thatcher and Major John. Rock and roll, the pill, the NHS. Lady Diana, hopeful in her wedding dress. Watergate, the Falklands, 9-11. And then I remember that even the oldest cow was born in 1997. God, that packs a punch, that one. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. And uh, have you got another one you'd like to read? Yeah, this one's called Cow. Soft as a mother smooth as a latte, a beefy oblong with the eyes of an angel, black as night and white as snow, you're like an edible domino, or a coat hanger whose burden isn't shirts but meat. Stand up, raise a glass and give yourself a hand. You are the crab of the land that's beautiful yeah thank you a big thanks to michael banyan for that interview crab of the land is released next week so that's all we've got time for this month if you're after more beef and dairy news get over to the website now where you can find all the usual stuff as well as our off topic section which this month features a roundup of 2017's most promising holiday destinations if you're allergic to light and a guide from world famous singer christina aguilera on how best to debark a pine tree. So until next month, beef out. Thanks to Henry Packer and Beth Eyre. Music was by Eric Matias, who can be found at www.soundimage.org. So, a couple of things for this post-credits bit. First, a reminder that we're doing a Beef and Dairy live show on Sunday the 5th of February in London. It will feature me, as well as Mike Wozniak, Tom Neenan and Gemma Arrowsmith, all of whom you'd have heard uh, on the podcast over the months. Uh, For tickets, which are £9, uh, just Google Beef and Dairy Vault Festival or look on our Twitter. And finally, having spoken to a very bad poet during the episode, I thought it might be an idea to give you a bit of actually good poetry. Um, A while ago, I asked one of my favourite poets, Rob Orton, whether he had any beef or dairy related poems that I could record. And he said, luckily, that he did. So I went and I recorded him reading it uh, before one of his live shows at the Soho Theatre in London. So this is his poem, Lidlicker, set to music by a wonderful composer called Timothy Tate. Lidlicker. The way she licks the lid of the yoghurt represents her love of life. Not only does she lick the underside of the yoghurt lid, the side often thinly layered with the white wet, she also licks the dry, plastic, business side. 
She revels in this as much, if not more, than when her tongue washes in the dripping cow wax. She shuts her eyes tighter, really fist clenches her eyelids closed. Her tongue grows flaccid and shiny like a massive pink melted dripping diamond covered in clear olive oil. She licks the name, delighted by the fact that the yogurt has been given a name. She licks the letters that man came up with to label things such as yogurts. She licks the logo and romanticizes about the designers with their pens and pencils, the studios they work in, and how they probably have really good Christmas parties. She drags her slippery, limp bottom lip over photographs of fruit. There is no taste, but that is because there is very little taste when licking an unbroken fruit with your bottom lip. She licks the use-by date and thinks about the calendars in the yogurt factory and the factory workers and the cars of the factory workers and the seats in their cars and the radios and the people working for the radio stations and the carpets of the radio stations and the thick glass windows in the studios and the views from the windows of the radio stations, the grass, the trees, the concrete, the buildings. She licks at life from the lid of the yogurt and digests it in the stomach of her imagination. Thanks to Rob for letting me uh, come and record that and show it to you. I think Rob is brilliant. Uh, I'm not really a big poem person, um, but I recommend going to see him live. He's funny and moving and everything in between. And luckily, if you live in the UK, he's about to tour our great nation. Um, So you can go to his website, which is www.roborton.co.uk, and that's Orton spelled A-U-T-O-N for dates. And as I said before, the music was by uh, Timothy Tate. If you uh, need any music composing, then uh, don't hesitate in going to www.timothy-tate.com. So until next time, bye. What's the deal with Brexit? Have you seen Happy Valley yet? How do British people pronounce Edinburgh, Leicester or Norwich? Not like that. Are you tired of getting your world news from reliable sources, often with no puns or sexual innuendo? Why was there a butcher's hat haunting Coronation Street? What's Coronation Street and why is Dave Holmes obsessed with it? International Waters pairs a team of comedians in LA against a team of comedians in London in a pop culture battle royale. Join us once a fortnight to hear the best comedians in the world trade jokes and stories and maybe even learn something at the same time. International Waters with me, Dave Holmes. Find it at MaximumFun.org or wherever you download podcasts. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.